Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Off, Holden Kushner, Ryan Spader. We are joined by 14-year Major Leaguer Brett Boone of the, uh, I guess it's the Boone Dynasty, and there might be some more of that coming too. Hey, Brett, it's Holden. Uh, you know, Ryan, thanks for your time today. I appreciate it. We were just talking about your kid too. We, we might have the fourth generation of Boones. This is amazing. You got it. No pressure. No pressure on him. No. That's what I there told was him. On no, he's, uh, we got the draft in... 12 days, is it? 13 days? So uh, we'll figure it out. He might he might go, he might not. You know, with the draft the way it is this year, um, you know, everything's up in the air. This is new territory for everybody and kind of sucks for a lot of the kids getting ready to go, you know, the seniors and the juniors in college, um, that there's five rounds, but it is what it is. We'll see. Hey, Booney, um, so – what do you make of the cuts of the minor league teams? Because that's something that could potentially impact, I, I guess, impact your boy. Because of um, if I, I, you'd think uh, somebody drafted in the first five rounds, uh, you yourself were the fifth rounder, um, would have a pretty damn good chance of making the big leagues, but at least ha- making a nice minor league career. So I, I think the fact that we're cutting all these minor league teams is really going to have a major impact on a lot of kids who would otherwise uh, have a shot. Well, I think, you know, it's, man, it's tough to, like I said, I think this is kind of uncharted waters for the first time you go into five, you know, you're going to five rounds. Um, There's no minor league season right now. So, so the natural, you know, the way, the way it naturally flows is you play the minor league season and people kind of eliminate themselves. So there's releases to make room for the new draft class. But now, you know, these guys that were on the bubble going into this season, clubs are going to have to start making moves without these guys even going out and playing. So uh, those are going to be some tough decisions. The incoming class, it's going to be a numbers thing. Obviously, you're going to five rounds. That's that's not very good for the amateurs coming out of college that we're going to be, say, sixth round picks. You know, their their bonus money goes down a little bit. Uh, they're cutting 40 teams, I believe, comes out to a team and a half per, per or um, yeah, a team and a half per per organization. So, you know, some teams are going to be cutting two A-ball teams. Some teams are going to be cutting one. So you're going to have a thousand less guys in the minor leagues to begin with. Um, 
you know, I said it kiddingly a little earlier. They're starting to release guys now. Uh, and I was in that mix, you know, for a couple of years. I worked for the A's and, and I worked on the minor league side and I really enjoyed it. But, um, you know, a lot of these guys, it sounds sad. He can't continue his career. You, some of these guys you're doing a favor to, actually, believe it or not, by letting them get on with their life. You know, when, when the, you know, when it's pretty obvious to everybody that there's no future as far as a big league uh, level career. Um, sometimes it's just better to move on with life, but, but the amateur ranks are definitely shook up right now with everything that's going on, you know, in the country. Do you think that this is just the first step? Do you see more teams being cut? Because I kind of got a conspiracy theory that I'm going to run by it, uh, regardless of what you think here. What do you mean? Oh, 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 you're, you're asking me, do I think further cuts? Well, I don't know. I, I think from my time, you know, in the draft, shoot, going back 30 years now, uh, I remember we had 60, 70 rounds in the draft. You know, you're down to 40, I think, uh, because of everything that's gone on. And they're going to they're going to kind of, you know, this is kind of a experimental draft, you know, to, to limit it to five rounds then free agency. But depending on what happens with the cutting of the minor league teams, I think next year it wouldn't surprise me if they if they cut. You know, from a 42-round, I believe, uh, minor league draft is normally. It wouldn't surprise me if they cut even more in the future to 30, to 28, whatever they deem uh, relevant for, for their for their ball clubs. Um, I don't know what I think about it. You know, it's you think about those Mike Piazzas of the world that were, were taken in the 50-something round. Uh, nowadays, that guy might never get a shot. But uh, usually the cream rises to the top. Usually the guys that are that that have the ability to play at the highest level, they usually don't fall through the cracks. Um, so who knows? It's just it's the way of the future. You know, when I when I got drafted, like I said, there were a lot more rounds there were a lot more guys signed contracts and, and our conditions were horrible. You know, the way the way our just our facilities compared to the modern day facility, these minor league, these minor league guys live like kings and i and i looked at them and i tell them you should have seen when we were in let alone you know the generation before me but the more money they're putting into the minor league side as far as nutrition and the training and the facilities uh their way of cutting costs probably is, is cutting down on the amount of bodies and and the teams so i'm gonna throw you my conspiracy theory and you're probably gonna throw it right back at me but i, I think major league baseball kind of has an end state where there's an just the major leagues with the 30 teams and then a minor leagues kind of like the NHL and the AHL and then um, looks to uh, maybe like outsource the rest of minor league baseball to these other professional organizations throughout the world to try to grow, grow the game. Like with the you see ESPN and MLB pumping up the KBO and all these other uh, Taiwanese league and all these other things. And I, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more guys going overseas uh, because there's not those slots available in the future. And I, I think that that's what Major League Baseball's goal is. Well, well I, I mean, you might not be far off. You know, it, nothing would surprise me the way that the, the game is going. There's been so much change even over in the last 10 years. So I wouldn't rule anything out. I don't know if, you, you know, I those leagues would have to get better you know i i watch i tried i, I watch a little bit of that korean league and, and i'm kind of going wow this looks like you know <laughs> 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 yeah, 
not to not to be too cynical about it, but but for for me to sit down and watch that on TV and not have a relative or friend playing, uh, that was kind of tough for me to watch. So I think the one thing in America is that we're gonna have a chance for independent league baseball. I think that's if if anybody wants to get into that and try and build independently, that's the way that you're gonna have more guys playing. I think that's the way we're going right now. But Brett. Uh, so it's not even a work stoppage. You can't call it that. It's a freaking pandemic. But if you didn't, here's my take on this. And then I, I want to hear yours. So the owners we got a lot of takes. Please. We got a lot of takes because the owners don't want to pay the players. The owners probably already lost a ton of money. The players don't want to get ripped off by the owners. And Trevor Bauer wants to uh, get rid of Scott Boris. So everybody's got an opinion on this. And <laughs> for a guy that was, you know, you. you you were around for a lot of things that happened between the, the, the players and the owners, especially in 94-95. Come on, give me your take on what's going on right now. Oh, well, you know, off, off, uh, off camera, if you call it that, you know, Ryan, I was talking to Ryan about it. And just my, my brief experience, you know, I was the, I repped uh, 94, you know, when I played for the Reds. And, and uh, you know, my dad was, a, <clears throat> was the American League national league uh rep for a lot of years in the marvin miller years and when when they made a lot of strides from the player standpoint um and he suggested early in my career he said at least get involved with the union educate yourself see on what it's really like behind the scenes and go into those negotiations and see what's what's going on if anything else you know he, he he reiterated to me educate yourself so when you talk about it, you have the ability to talk about it from an educated point of view. And I and I t- and I heeded his advice. I went in in '94. I was blown away what I saw behind the scenes, you know. And and uh, <clears throat> whatever you get publicly, um, you know, to read or in the newspaper or now on the internet and, and on ESPN and MLB, uh, it's just a snippet of what's really going on uh, behind the scenes. Uh, I learned that as a player, and, and I'm a very pro player. You know, I was a pro player, pro union guy when I played. I know what it's like. You got to fight for everything you get. And through the years, we battled our ass off to, to get the game where it is today. And these guys making the money they're they're making today. And there's been a lot of a, a lot of uh, sacrifices made in the past. Um, that being said, as a player, you're never going to look good publicly. You're never going to win the PR war against the owners the first thing they do is they 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 print your salaries in the newspaper and they say here public feel bad for these guys so so you're you're up against the wall to begin with you're never going to win the pr war <clears throat> my suggestion in in this type of situation and i was telling ryan earlier is as a player shut up just get off the internet get off twitter uh, my advice to my players uh, you know, if I was repping a team and, and bringing that to the to the you know to the big guys that are negotiating, is give the standard line. We want to play. We're staying in shape. You know, we, we want to get we want to be a big part in coming out of the morning for what this country's been going through. And baseball is a great venue for that. I think it can do all, a lot of healing. I went through the 9/11, and baseball was a big part of coming in, you know coming out of 9/11 and the tragedies in the tower. So I think there's a lot of positive things that sports can do. The, the negotiations, what's going on right now, that's the ugly side of it. You know, they're going to they're going to try to get the best deal they can. And in the end, if something doesn't happen, it's a lose lose across the board. Um, it, it'd be one thing if you're negotiating a seven to 10 year um, 
basic agreement that, that you're going to get you out 10 years in the future, you got to hold to certain values. I think this is a Band-Aid. This is an 82-game season, which is proposed. And I think it's important for a lot of these players out there to play. Uh, that being said, I know what, what the owners are capable of. And I know there's probably their, their guys, their lawyers have a number in mind. And if, you know, their, their best offer and if, if the players don't agree to what they consider their best offer, I think the other side could be prepared to walk and, and say it's better financially, you know, fiscally for each organization not to play the whole season as to paying the players what they want, you know. So it's an economic thing. And I think you just got to be careful in these times. Find a way to get the best deal you can you can get get out there on the field. It'll be much easier to negotiate your time served as far as as time. You know, the guys out there that that have two years in the big leagues and and they need another year to be arbitration eligible. If you scrap this season, it's going to be you're going to have to claw and fight to get that service time. So those are the little things you're talking about. Uh, Like I said, as a player coming from, you're not going to win the PR war. You're not going to win any sympathy out there. You know, people just want to see sports. They don't care about millions of dollars you know people out there right now don't have a job and like i said i'm I'm pro player this is a band-aid it's something the country needs and and i think the players uh we got to find a way ownership as well you got to find a way to get something done uh to get us to next spring training when when everything will be back to normal all right, so we've got guys that are following this on social media, though. We didn't have this 25 years ago. And you get a big name like Max Scherzer coming out, and he's angry about everything. So uh, the way that I ha- that I try to approach this, since I've been around the media for so long, is I try not to overreact to every single report that comes out, right? Because they've been leaking right. things for months and months. It's spring training beforehand when there was a possibility of this. Everything gets leaked. So... Would you have any advice to the normal guy that's out there or lady that's just following this and they see a report? Is it okay to follow these play-by-play of this or is it better to sit back, relax, and see how it just plays out? Exactly. This is this is like any big-time negotiation. And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not uh, – I understand what it's like to be a, a 25-, 30-year-old player and, and you know – Maybe it's maybe you're even younger than that. and You haven't been in this type of situation before. I'm not going to say I didn't make any mistakes. I didn't say some things I wish I didn't say. But I've got a lot of time under my belt now. I'm 50 years old. I've been through I've been through the trials and the tribulations. I've been through these big time negotiations. I had the owners get up out of a meeting, walk out, cancel the season and cancel the World Series in 1994. And I'm this young player that just wants to play going, what just happened? So I know the reality of what goes on during these negotiations. And I'm not saying, you know, if, if you read what's on the table now coming from the owners, it's a terrible deal for the players. I'm not saying agree to that. But it's almost like when you're negotiating to buy a house, you know, that first offer you're going to you're going to give if that guy if that guy needs to sell his house is not going to be a very good offer. Um the problem with this is you're up against the deadline, I think. I think if you want to start by the beginning of July, these guys, especially the pitchers that need their reps once every fifth day, uh, they're going to need three weeks of spring training. So if you're going to start in the beginning of July to get a half a season and a postseason in, I think you are up against the clock a little bit, kind of have to have an agreement within about seven to ten days. So 
it, it, it just adds another element to the negotiation, which makes it a real tough thing to do. Uh, I understand both sides. Um, but, but, you know, and, and I talked to Ryan a little earlier about it, too. It, and, and I read this somewhere and it makes sense to me. It, it's when things are going bad. We'll have a social economic where we'll share the profits. And when things are going good, it's a it's a capitalistic approach. Uh, I, I don't think that's fair. It's like when things are going good, I'll split. You know, I want to split all the revenues, but 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 not just when things aren't going great and, and we're in a flux, per se. Um, I think that's an interesting take on it. Uh, once again, now I'm a fan. I just want to see these guys out playing, have half a year's better than anything. You're going to add some excitement. It's going to be the only show in town. Uh, and if done right, I think it can do a lot of really good things for the game of baseball. No, not only in our country, but worldwide. I think there's nothing but an upside. Uh, just the negative thing is it's big time, big time money involved. And it's very complicated and there's no easy answer. OK, so here's my last on this and then Ryan can take it from here. Ninety-four, ninety-five. Uh, never forget it. Obviously, you and, and these are going to be different negotiations because people are going to be either wearing masks, standing 10 feet away from each other, or they're going to be on <laughs> Zoom conferences. Seriously, this is the these have got to be very bizarre, very bizarre conferences that they're having, Brett, because you're not in person. But you just mentioned that something went on back in 94, 95. You're a young guy in the room. What happened when the owners canceled the season? What happened then? Uh, if, if I can remember right, we had a meeting in, uh, we all flew to Arizona to uh, Scottsdale. And, um, you know, players all got there, all the reps got there, you know, checked into our hotels. And, and we had a meeting at two or three o'clock in the afternoon. And, and I'd been to two or three or four uh, big meetings with the owners before. And, you know, it, it's like a grand entrance where all the players are sitting in there and the owners file in. Uh it's kind of surreal, actually. And, and uh, you know, they, they get to the podium and they start talking to us and there's back and forth. Sometimes there's some some heated moments in that room. But I remember being in Arizona uh, and all of a sudden, you know, let's call it. I, I don't remember the actual time. Let's call it a three o'clock meeting. All the players are there. We're sitting around, you know, talking, chatting. Hey, what, you know, let's get this thing going. We want to play. We want to play this and that. And three comes and goes. And the next thing we know is Donald Fear comes running, coming in. And he said the owners aren't showing. They they got on their uh, they got on their planes and they left. And we're sitting there going, wait a minute, we had a meeting. And the next thing I know, the season was canceled. And the next thing I know, we heard later, because the negotiations went on and on. Now we we're officially on strike. Never in a million years did I think the World Series was or, or the postseason and the World Series was going to be canceled. Uh, and we got that phone call one day and said, everything's canceled. Sealy got up and said, uh, we're going to cancel the, the World Series. And, and that was a long, cold, tough winter, uh, especially doing interviews. It's like, man, every time, every time you could just feel the intensity from the fans at the time being a, being a player. And it's impossible to really put them in the situation of what it's like going through those grueling negotiations. And, uh, man, that was a tough time. And then, you know, went to the replacement players and we still didn't know what was going to happen. And, and thank goodness it broke and, and we went off spring training and, and played the 95 season. Booney, uh, when you played, especially early in your career, 
Um, I guess everybody knew who like the absolute crazy guys were. You know, we were talking about Kevin Mitchell killing a cat the other day. But <laughs> I played but, with Kevin for a couple years. <laughs> but the um, the the fact of the matter is, for the most part, guys in terms of their politics and everything, it was kind of kept out of the game. But now it um, it's a huge part of it because everybody's on Twitter and everything, and it seems like you know if you've got. Trevor Bauer's political views and you're told to shut up. And then if you got Sean Doolittle's and you're told to speak up, uh, regardless of any of that, though, if if you got a young guy at this point, are you just like, dude, stay the fuck off Twitter and just don't don't mess with any of this stuff? I mean, you know, these are big boys and these are great. These are the best players in the world. And who am I? You know, I'm an actual player. Uh, who am I to tell them how to run their life and how to be a man? Uh, but I'm just telling you from what I've been through. It's your best option right now is to not <laughs> say anything. Your best option from a from the it, it, the best opportunity you have to get this thing done is to stay silent. Let the negotiators negotiate. Like I said, tell the company line. We just want to play ball. We're in shape. We're ready to go. We want to be a part of the healing of the nation. We want to, you know, baseball could. Like I said, I think they can make gains not only within the United States, but but in the world. Um, so there's a lot on the line right now. I just don't think any anybody going on, you know, you get some good takes, some intelligent, some educated takes from Twitter and from from certain players. And, and you're going to have other players that that kind of don't say, you know, you know, have some words that sometimes they wish they could take back. But they're out there. You know, nowadays it's instant. Once you put something on Twitter, uh, you can't take it back, especially if you're a high profile big league star player. And I'm just I'm just talking from from uh, from my experience, and I've got a decent amount. I've been there, done that, uh, said some things I wish I didn't say. Uh, you know, as far as the politics, uh, I learned a, a while ago that you know when people talk to Brett Boone, they want to know about turning double plays. They want to know about my experiences, my growing up, what was it like. Uh, they could care less what I think about the politics uh, in the world that's going on right now. I think right now we're as political as we've ever been as a nation. Uh, but I think, like I said, uh, from a personal standpoint, nobody cares what I think about politics. So I stay out of it. Um, so to turn the tides a little bit here, talk about another work stoppage. Brett Boone had a big first day on January 29th and first day at MLB Network. And then uh, you got hit with all this bullshit. So, <laughs> oh, oh, this is one of those shows, a bullshit show. Huh? <laughs> but um, it, it just it just kind of seems unfortunate because this is something that and we've talked about this a number of times. This impacts not just the players, but it impacts Brett Boone, who's starting a new a new job over at MLB Network and all these other guys who work for MLB Network and ESPN. And then um, all the uh, the little guys like Holden Kushner me. and Ryan Spader. <laughs> like me, dude. This this is when we start talking about fantasy and betting and everything, and there's nothing to bet on. And stink. Well, let me be clear. I have no contract with MLB. But, yeah, I, I was getting my foot in the door. I, You know, I did my first four or five shows, and, and they went good, and I, I kind of – I had a little pep in my step, like, wow, you know, I haven't done anything on a stage for a long time. And it kind of uh, rejuvenated me a little bit. But I but I look at the big picture, you know, and I, I can sit down now. I, I've got a son, you know, like we talked about earlier. He's 21 years old. He's he's about to go into the draft as a junior in college, which is supposed to be a big time in his life. 
And now all of a sudden cutting it down to five rounds, is he going to be drafted? Is he not? But, but when you really take a step back and look at the pick big picture, it's like, you know, <laughs> life's going to happen. It's not like you're by yourself. You know, I, my son's name is Jake. And I said, Jake, you know how many juniors in college right now that have, you know, big aspirations as far as professional baseball that are in the same boat as you, you know, the seniors in in high school this year, they're going to be drafted, the JC drafts. Uh, everybody's in the same boat and, and the same with me, you know, I, yeah, I want to get going. I want to get my kind of, if you call it my second career going, wherever that may be, uh, and I'm put on hold, but, but the rest of the world is too. So, you know, uh, you can sit back and go, oh, you know, woe is me, but the bottom line is we're all we're all going through the same stuff and we just want this country to open up and, and get back to, to life as we know it. So I lived in Seattle. You were gone from the Mariners by the time I, I think it was there, what, 99, 2000 covering those teams. And it was really cool to get a chance to see Griffey and A-Rod and all those guys together. But the thing that I'll never forget about the Seattle Mariners was my time around Lou Pinella. And everybody has a Lou Pinella story. Um, at some point in time, <laughs> they've been around Lou Pinella. How much were you around Lou? And do you remember him calling Rola Banya's Ibanez, that Ibanez feller? Oh, you know, whatever, you t- whatever story you tell about Lou, I- I'm not going to not believe you. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and let me preface this with, I came into to baseball in uh, – I signed in 19, my first big league, you know, I got called up in 1992 and 93 Lou took over the Mariners and, uh, oh man, you talk about a, a year button heads with your skipper. You know, I'm a young player, lose this brash veteran guy's been around forever. And we had some knockdown drag out fights in his office, um, it was covered by the media. Lou and Boone, you know, hate each other. I'll tell you what, by the end of 93, we really had settled in and we were kind of buddies, you know, and I got traded that offseason. Oh, he traded Brett. You know, the, the truth was, is it is that Dave Valley was at the end of his tenure kind of as the as the catcher in Seattle and they needed a new new guy. And Dan Wilson fit the bill. And we had we had a plethora of, of young middle infielders. And Seattle or in Cincinnati needed a young second baseman. And it was a perfect, perfect trade. So I had no ill will. It, it, I knew it wasn't. He didn't trade me because we weren't getting along. But uh, the second time around to come back and play for Lou in, in 2001 and 2002. Uh, and I, I got an opportunity to play for some great managers in my, in my career. I was, I was pretty lucky. You know, I, I range was there. Uh, Lou to this day, by far. Uh, just my favorite, favorite guy to play for, because you never knew where you're going to get the personality. He had more personality than pretty much anyone I've ever met. And uh, it, it's easy to, you know, I, I remember the 2001 season, we won 116 games. And, the, you know, the, the press would be coming around going, wow, Lou seems to have really settled in, you know, the maturity <laughs> of Lou as a manager. And I'd look at him and I'd say, you know, I'd look at him, I'd laugh. I'd go, he wins every night. If you can't be, you know, if you can't be poised and collected when you're, you, you don't lose a series till September, you're never going to be able to. So uh, Lou was great. Loved him. You know, you play on the, if Lou had the right uh, mix of guys on a team, I couldn't imagine a guy being more entertaining and more fun to play for. 
I also see the other side. He went to Tampa Bay, and it was a group of young, young players that were going to lose 100 games, and, and uh, that could be tough sledding. Lou was a guy, I'll tell you, if he respected you as a man and as a baseball player, he'd run through a brick wall for you. And if he didn't, he was going to test you to the end, and, and it was going to be a long year for you. So uh, that's a little snapshot of Lou. But I, I, from a personal standpoint, He's my favorite. And I got to play for some great ones. You know, Bochi and, and Bobby Cox and uh, Davey John. I, I got to play for, for a lot of great managers and, and Lou to this day still, you know, he's my guy. Booty, I know you're sick of telling me about it, but uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you for the people listening. Uh, you got to tell me a um, quick story about uh, growing up in the in the clubhouse because that's a – you didn't only – I mean, your father, <laughs> your grandfather, both, the whole family, you know, you're all ball players. So it, it had to be a really unique circumstance for you to um, to grow up in it and then and then come into the game. Well, you know, you, you don't you don't know what you got until, you know, you grow up a little bit and you look back. And, and I didn't even really, uh, you know, uh, uh, know what I had growing up. You know, I grew up in – and my dad ended up playing 19 years. I was going to the ballpark with him till I was a junior in high school. You know, uh, I grew up in Philly in, in the seventies and those great teams got to, you know, watch him win the 1980 world series. And, and, you know, on the float the next day in Philadelphia with a million people cheering. And I thought, Oh, this isn't just another day. This is what my dad does. You know, that was kind of the attitude of, of if dads take their kids to work, well, this is my dad's work. And it wasn't a big deal to me every day to, ride to the yard with Luzinski and, and hang out with Schmitty and Pete Rose and, and Carlton. And, you know, the list goes on Maddox and trio. These are, these are my childhood memories. I was watching on MLB channel the other day, had that 1980 world series. And it seemed like I was 10 years old all over again. And, and I remember how cool it was and the little stupid stuff. Like I'm watching, <clears throat> I'm watching Manny trio play second base and he had his glove and he always painted his glove. So he'd call me down you know, I'm 10 years old and I'd paint his gloves for him and he'd have four lined up and I was watching his glove and I was telling my, my twins that are 15, I say, see that guy right there? They don't know who Manny Trio is. You know, they're 15. They're, they're worried about playing Fortnite. I said, I painted his glove when I was 10, you know, <laughs> and it was cool stuff like that. But, uh, man, I got so many good memories and just, you know, I remember the night, uh, they won the world series and the party afterwards in the clubhouse and for me it was like no big deal you know it's this is what i do after the game and then i stayed over at pete rose's house that night it, you know he had a son Petey, who were similar age uh, who's a similar age to me and we hang out i remember pete waking me up at about seven in the morning cracking a coke and going you know call me a mullion which was his his term of endearment and said get your ass up it's time to go to the parade and next thing you know i'm on a float in in my clothes from the night before that had beer and champagne spilled all over me here i am 10 years old you know and thinking no big deal and and i see pictures you know you, i catch a glimpse of a picture once in a while that mom might have at the house of me on the float and going wow you know and i i tell my kids i said i was a pretty lucky kid that i got to do some pretty cool things my oldest son Jake got to got to see a little bit of that and and when i was playing in seattle i i tried to give him as much of that experience as i had because i knew as a kid, how special that was. Were you, how old were you around the 1986 California Angels? Were you still around that team? 
I was. I was. I ended up working in the in the visitors clubhouse. Uh, what were you doing? Hold on. So for anybody that doesn't know, if you're just listening right now, they were the California Angels and they took on the Red Sox in the ALCS. Yeah. And of course, the Mets ended up beating the Red Sox in that game six and the game seven with Buckner. But on the other side, I would say the the, the NLCS is the one that gets all of the attention. It was a great six games. But people forget how wild. Oh, oh, my God. On the other side, on the American League side, because the Red Sox, you guys, your, your dad's team. Well, you were one, you, one pitch. Three one. games to one. Yeah. I remember it was uh, it was clinch night and Donnie Moore was on the mound and I, I was in a buddy of mine had a suite in left field and we were all up in the suite. And we were all he was kind of getting excited because dad's catching. And I remember I was betting with one of my buddies when Donnie Moore strikes out Henderson. Is he going to throw up one fist or two? Because that would have been the clincher and they go on to the to the next round. And next thing I know, Hendu hits that home run. And what people forget, they think that was it. You know, Boston comes back, hits the heroic home run, and they won the series. Well, that wasn't a clincher for them. They still had two games to play and end up losing the series. It was either one or two games to play after that. Like you said, was it 3-1 when the Donnie Moore gave up the home run? Yeah, it the, um, yeah, it was. I think it I'm going to go back and look, but I'll say I'll say this. You're right. Both um, both teams in, in the American League, you had the Angels. You guys were one out away. So tell me this. Were you in that Red Sox locker room there with Spader's no. boy, Wade Boggs, or no? I was not in that locker room for that. That was the playoffs. I, I, I worked in that locker room. I was a ball boy down the right field line. Me and Reggie getting in fights when I throw it over his head and he'd give me that, <laughs> you know. Come on, kid. Were you in Naked Gun? Were you in the gun? No, I wasn't in the gun, no. Oh, come on. How is that possible? I don't think, let's see, naked gun. When was, I got to check the year. That's I might 80, have gone. Dad might have been, now it, it seemed like that time, right? Dad 88, was maybe? Right around 88. Dad was there from 82 to 88, and then he went to Kansas City and, and finished up. But, uh, no, I don't, you know what? I, I've seen the naked gun a lot. I don't remember uh, that being filmed. When I was there, I think it was when Dodgers. I was there as a kid. Peter. <laughs> well, uh, Booney, we really appreciate you coming here. Last thing I got for you, and I'm not even going to ask you to comment on it because I'm not going to ask you to bat against against a teammate of yours. Is uh, I think you got robbed of the 2001 MVP. Don't even say I, a word. <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate that. I appreciate. Uh, I think um, Ichiro's great ball player. Uh, he was new and exciting to the game, and I think a lot of that got him some votes. But uh, my vote goes to Brett Boone. Booney, one of the coolest dudes I've met in baseball. Looking forward to talking some baseball with you in the future over some beers. Hopefully, we don't have to wear masks. Yeah, we got to get rid of these masks. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> right, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, All right, take care, Brett. All right, guys, get through this. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Brett Boone joining us here on the walk-off for Ryan Spader. I'm Holden Kushner. We'll catch you again on Monday. Real quick, Spader, that was a lot of fun is all I can say. And you know how I love going back into 80s baseball because that's when I was a little kid and that's how I fell in love with the game. And people forget about that American League series. It was one of the greatest series I've ever seen as far as comebacks go. Really was. And poor Donnie Moore never got over giving up that home run. Later committed suicide. They said that his family members just said he never got over it. Amazing. That's awful. Awful. Yeah, awful. So that's a great way to end the show, right? 
Yeah, but, uh, that's really do. Can we do like a blue chew ad or something? <laughs> no, we cannot. <laughs> we'll be back next week. Hey, listen, if you made it this far, uh, you probably have already done so. But if you haven't, go to iTunes, give us five stars, give us your favorite memory of a walk off hit, and uh, that'd be very nice. Spader, say bye bye. Hey, uh, we we didn't even give it any shout outs to Boone. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, the Boone. Uh, oh, he's the Boone. He, I mean, the Boone twenty nine on Twitter. Okay. So make sure you give him uh, some love on the Twitter. Great follow. All right, this has been the walk off. <laughs>